0: Peacekeepers. Welcome back to another episode of Passions Are Peace podcast. I have literally recorded this intro like a billion times and that is not an exaggeration. I have no idea why, but I am so, I don't know, I'm so nervous. I'm like psyching myself out and it's probably my dumbass's fault because I looked at the stats of this podcast and I did not expect it to be as much people as it is right now and I am a little overwhelmed, so I have been thinking about the way I sound, the way I'm awkward, <laughs> the way I have this lisp, the way I am presenting this, and it is driving me crazy, but I am trying to be gentle with myself and remember that I tried to do this podcast for for fun. It's supposed to be something fun for me, and it's literally making my blood pressure skyrocket through the roof, and I fear for my life. Not really, but It's a lot of sauce, but I am so happy that you guys could join me for this second installment of Freaky Fridays. Woo! Today we are going to be doing Ted Bundy Part 2, and before we begin, I do want to make the disclaimer that this episode is going to be graphic. Ted Bundy was this horrible piece of shit who did horrible things to these beautiful young women, but I think it's important that we take this entire episode to really remember them, to just really make sure that we focus on them because this is really about the victims and Ted Bundy deserves nothing. He is garbage and I hate him. But I just want to give that um disclaimer because I had such a hard time deciphering what I wanted to put in and what I didn't because I want to be considerate of your feelings, but I am somebody who can listen to some I can listen to anything and it's not going to phase me it's not going to make me feel some sort of way and that makes me sound like such a monster but i i can i can handle these things i can listen to anything so i was not sure what people would be able to handle and what people wouldn't be able to handle as well as in the beginning of this of the last episode i told you guys that i want to give you guys as good con- as good of accurate content as i can that literally made no sense but i'm sure you guys try get what i'm trying to say (laughs) i it's i want it to be as accurate as i can possibly get it because that is important so i left a lot of the very graphic ugly things in because it's the truth it's what happened and it's to make you guys more aware that there is fucking pieces of shit like this out in the open so without further ado let's get started It is unsure when Bundy started murdering women. He has told many different stories and never stuck to just one. It is believed that Bundy had started killing at age 14. A detective strongly believes that Bundy was responsible for the murder of Anne Marie Burr, who was only eight years old at the time. But every time the accusations came up, Bundy always claimed he was innocent. On January 4th of 1974, Bundy broke into an apartment of Karen Sparks. She was only 18 years old and a, student the uni- uh, and a student at the University of Washington. She was sleeping in her apartment when she woke up in the middle of the night to Bundy brutally beating her. Ted had removed a metal bar from her bed and began viciously attacking her. Karen had roommates who lived with her. When they found her, the metal bar had been jammed inside her. Karen actually survived the attack, but unfortunately was left with brain damage and irreparable damage to her internal organs. He had beat her so badly that Karen was in a coma for 10 days, and when she woke up, she had no recollection of the attack. That same year, February 1974, Linda Ann Haley was at a local bar the night Ted had spotted her. Linda had left the bar early due to the fact that she had to work early the next morning. She had a job announcing the local ski weather reports. After leaving the bar, Ted had followed her back to her house. Linda lived in an apartment with four other roommates who in fact were all home at the time of the attack. She went to bed around 10 p.m. that night. Ted then broke into her room and used a crowbar to beat her head in. Bundy proceeded to wrap her in a sheet, then wrapped her head with a pillowcase. He then remade her bed, picked up her body and fled out the window. Linda's parents had made dinner plans with her. When she didn't show, they called the police. Investigators went to her room and pulled back her sheets and found bloodstains. Police found a bloody nightgown on the floor and had noticed some personal belongings such as her backpack and another pillowcase were missing. Investigators never found her body. The only piece found of Linda and Healy was a jawbone they had to use dental records to to confirm that the bone was hers. On March 12, 1974, Donna Gail Manson, 18, from Olympia, Washington, was an Evergreen State College student. She was reportedly last seen by a roommate. She said she was on her way to a jazz concert that was being held at the campus. She was not reported missing until six days. It is said that Donna was usually gone for long periods of time so many assumed there was nothing unordinary about her absence. Bundy confessed on death row and I hate to be the one for the spoiler spoiler alert in case you didn't know but Bundy is dead and died by the electric chair thank god but sorry to be that spoiler alert but I literally hate him I'm pretty sure you guys can really focus I mean you guys can really see how bad I hate him. He confessed to abducting Donna from the campus. He said, he, he said her remains might be found in the mountains, then the Cascades, then lastly said she was on Taylor Mountain. Bundy also claimed that he took her school to his girlfriend's house and burned it in the fireplace. Despite all of these claims, her remains still have yet to be found. April 17, 1974, Suzanne Elaine Rancourt, 18, from Illinois, El- Ellensburg, Washington, was abducted from Central Washington State University. She was supposed to meet a friend to watch a film, but never showed. When she failed to show up for her final exam the next day, her friends became worried and called the police. After police had no leads on Susan, other college students came forward and reported a man with his arm in a sling, asking them for help. He would ask them to help them he would ask them to help him with his books. You know, preying on their good nature like a fucking jackass? Yeah, that's Ted Bundy. Bundy confessed to her murder before his execution. Her skull was later found on Taylor Mountain, the same place Linda Ann Healy's jawbone was found. May 6, 1974, Roberta Kathleen Parks, 20 years old, was abducted from Oregon State University campus. She had agreed to meet with friends for some coffee, but unfortunately never showed. Her remains were also found on Taylor Mountain. On June 6, 1974, Brenda Carol Ball, 22, was described as a free, fun-loving spirit. She was last seen in a parking lot talking to a man with his arm in a sling. Bundy confessed to her murder before his execution. He bludgeoned her to death and her skull was also found on Taylor Mountain. These four victims are often referred to as the Taylor Mountain Skeletons. This was a place where Bundy would bring his victims' remains and constantly revisit them. It is said that he would go back and redress them, comb their hair, and apply makeup to their corpses. Bundy was a necrophile. He would go back and have sex with their bodies until they were no longer usable. On July 11, 1974, Georgianne Hawkins, 18 years old, disappeared from the alley behind her sorority house at the University of Washington. Bundy had faked an injury and pretended to drop his books. She was kind enough to lend him a hand, and Bundy took advantage of her kindness by asking her to bring him by asking her to bring his books back to his car. When they arrived, she bent down to put the books down, and Bundy hit her with a crowbar in the back of the head that he had hidden in, wheel, in the wheel well of his car. He pushed her into the seatless passenger side and drove her out of town. She suddenly woke up and was delusional from the blow to the head. She began muttering about a test she had. Bundy panicked. He stopped the car and beat her with the crowbar. Bundy confessed to kidnapping Georgianne. He stated he strangled her with a nylon stocking and kept her body for several days, and like with the Taylor Mountain bodies, he went back to revisit her, redress her body, comb and do her hair, as well as having sex with her body. Bundy's next victims were lured differently. It was a bit strange because he abducted these women in broad daylight in a crowd with about 50 to 40,000 witnesses. This took place in the infamous Lake Shimamish, located in Washington. And from here on out, I'm just going to refer to it as Lake S because Shammamish is just too much sauce for my li- my lisp and I am not going to put you guys through that. The lake was at a state park and was 512 acres. On July 14th, 1971, Lake S was full of people, stands, booths, and all sorts of different sellers. Around noon... A man approached 22-year-old Mary Osmer. He was described by others as wearing a white t-shirt, white shorts, and his arm was in a sling. He had asked Mary if she could help him with his sailboat. Being kind, she agreed to help him. She followed him to his beige VW Bug, but when they arrived, there was no sailboat. He then stated that it was a short drive up the road at his parents' house. Mary, of course, got sketched out and told him that she had plans to meet her parents. Ted apologized and even walked her back to the lake. Ted then approached Janice Ott, 23. She had gone to the lake alone to sunbathe. She had agreed to help Ted with his sailboat. Two witnesses had actually saw Janice leave with him, and it is speculated that Ted tied her up while he returned to Lake S. A few hours later, after an altercation with her boyfriend, Denise Naslin went to use the restroom. She was only 18 years old when she simply disappeared. Ted had told a detective that he had brought Denise back to where he was holding Janice and murdered one while the other watched. After the events took place at Lake S, many of the residents were able to describe Ted. They said he was young, handsome, wearing a white t-shirt, white shorts, as well as white socks and white shoes. Witnesses say he spoke in an accent, not from Washington, but almost as if he were British. He also had his arm in a sling. Enough witnesses came forward to help police come up with a sketch. Once released, the sketches were able to bring about 3,500 tips, including one from Ann Rule, who had called Bundy in as a suspect after seeing the sketch and knowing the kind of car he drove. There was also a tip from one of Bundy's former professors at the University of Washington. Liz had a friend named Mary Lynn Chino. When the sketches came out, Liz went to Chino in a panic. Chino called the police and questioned the color of the VW bug in which they told her it was bronze, not beige. When she told Liz, they were both relieved However, Liz had called the police department claiming her boyfriend was the suspect. In total, Liz reported Ted to the police three different times. The police narrowed the searches down to 100 Ted's living in Washington. Ted Bundy was Ted number seven. In my opinion, the sketches looked nothing like Ted Bundy. When they released the sketches, like, he looked like a young Justin Bieber. So when I think about people saying, oh, he's Ted and he drives a VW Bug. Like, I feel like I would be one of those people that it just goes in one ear at the other because it's hard to confuse young Justin Bieber with unibrow Ted Bundy, you know? August, 1974, Bundy enrolled at the University of Utah and began taking first year law classes. On September 2nd, 1974, Bundy picked up a hitchhiker in Idaho and this is something I had no idea was a real thing because I didn't know he had so many victims in Idaho because a lot of people don't even think Idaho is a real thing so why would Ted Bundy know about Idaho? It's so scary to even think about that he was literally an hour and a half from me at one point in life. Ted raped and strangled this woman he went back the next day and dismembered her, as well as photographed the body. Unfortunately, this woman has never been identified. On September 17, 1974, Detective Robert Keppel and his partner were in Tacoma, Washington, listening to the radio when they heard that remains had been found east of Issaquah. Authorities were on site for seven days. ABC News reporter John Senefer Arrived at Issaquah and saw a pile of remains on top of the hood of a police car. There were two jawbones that were fractured, and a skull that was fractured as well. They were all bones. There was n- there were all bones, no flesh. Blonde hair was discovered, and it turned out to be Janice Ott's. Strands of Denise Naslin's hair were discovered along with her skull. All the remains were found above ground. Then tests were ran and Detective Robert Keppel was surprised when they discovered that not all of the bones were associated with Janice Ott or Denise Nasland. At this time, they had no idea whose remains they were. Bundy later admitted it in an eerie whisper by stating, quote, The name was Georgianne Hawkins. You probably found damage to the head, the jaw in particular, probably broken. And if you download the Investigation Discovery Go app, you can actually watch the documentary on Ted Bundy. I believe it's called Mind of Monster, and they have the confession tape where he like whispers about what he did to George Ann and where he states the quote I just said. The killings in Washington came to a stop when Bundy left Washington to start law school at the University of Utah. Upon arriving in Utah, Bundy was accepted by the people there. He even got baptized in the Church of Latter-day Saints. On October 2nd, Nancy Wilcox, who was only 16, disappeared from Salt Lake City. Ted claims he had only planned to rape her, but while trying to silence her screams, he ended up strangling her, and he claims that this was an accident. Her remains, however, have never been found. On October 18th, Melissa Smith, a 17-year-old, was the daughter of, the, was the daughter of a police chief she went missing in Salt Lake City. After searching for her for 9 days, the police found her naked body in the mountains near the town. She had been strangled, beaten, raped, and sodomized. The medical examiner the medical examiner stated she was kept alive for about 7 days. On October 31st, Ted assaulted Laura Aim. Laura Aim. She was only 17. She was strangled, beaten, raped, and sodomized. On November 8, 1974, Carol DeRanche was shopping at the mall when she was stopped by a suppos- supposable police officer who claimed someone had been trying to break into her car. He asked her to come outside with him to ensure nothing had been stolen. They went out to her car, and when Carol noticed nothing was missing, she became suspicious and asked to see his badge. He quickly pulled out a badge and she believed him. He tried to convince her that she he tried to convince her that they had a suspect back at the police station, so she got in the car with him. As soon as she noticed that there were as soon as she noticed that they were not going to the police station, Carol began asking questions. He became angry and pulled off to the side of the road. He attempted to handcuff her, but she fought like a badass, and he only managed to handcuff one of her wrists. She flung open the door and ran out. He then attacked her, but she managed to get away. She stopped a car that had been coming down the road, hopped inside, and begged the driver to take her to the police station. Ted was obviously pissed that Carol got away and planned to kidnap his next victim. It is said that Ted was pacing outside of this high school auditorium before he abducted and murdered high schooler Deborah Jean Kent, who was only 17. She was leaving the high school play. She was leaving a high school play when she was abducted in the parking lot. It was in the parking lot of this theater theater that the police found the key to the handcuffs that Ted had tried to put on Carol's wrists. Carol worked with the police and was able to tell them everything she could remember about him. They now had a better description of what Ted looked like. Ted admitted in a later interview that he took Deborah back to his home and he kept her there for a long period of time. He then stated that she was alive for half of the time that she was there. All of these missing women in Utah All of these missing women in the Utah area had really concerned Liz. She ended up calling the police to report Ted. The police took this call a lot more seriously than the others and called Liz in for an interview. Unfortunately, there was no evidence linking Ted to the crimes, so there was not much action taken at this point. Around December, Liz called the police again. In an interview with Detective Robert Keppel, Liz stated that Ted would often call her late nights when he was in Utah. And when Liz asked if the only reason he called her was to touch base with reality after what he had done, he replied with, That's a pretty good guess. In 1975, Bundy dropped out of law school and headed for Colorado. Although around this time, forestry students from Green River Community College found a skull fragment on Taylor Mountain, which was considered the foothills of the Cascade Mountains. And I want to make this a clear point because I believe this is where they scattered Bundy's ashes. And it was literally the foothills of the same place where at least four of his victims had been found like how the fuck dare you like that is so stupid that people actually allowed somebody to do this like who gives a fuck what happens to his remains afterwards he's a piece of shit he's garbage and why would you bury him where his victims were found like that is so stupid On January 12, 1975, Bundy abducted Karen Aileen Campbell, 23, who was a nurse from Michigan. She was vacationing with her fiancé and his two children when she went missing from the Wildwood Inn in Snowmass, Colorado. Around 8 p.m., the family had made plans to relax in front of the fire, when Karen remembered she had left the magazine she was going to read back in her room on the second floor. Her family became nervous when Karen had yet to come back. Her husband had gone upstairs to check on her when he got into the room after asking the front desk for another key he noticed the magazine karen had went upstairs for was still in the room around 10 30 pm her husband had become concerned and called the police it is said that the police interviewed over a hundred people they searched every room but could not find karen 36 days later her body was discovered in a snow in a snowbank three miles away from the inn with evidence of blows to the head and nude. Her body had deep cuts and evidence that she had been raped. The medical examiner was able to provide a time of death based on the contents in her stomach. It was said that Karen had died. It is said that Karen had died about 2 hours after she disappeared. On March 12th, Julie Cunningham 23 had recently come back to Vail, Colorado from a trip to Idaho where she resided for 2 weeks. She headed out to meet a friend at the bar shortly after calling her mom to tell her about her trip. Julie had never made it to the bar, causing her roommate to worry. The police were then called. When her room was searched by police, all of her belongings remained untouched. Unfortunately, Julie was never found. Bundy had later confessed that he had seen Julie that night, approached her while he was in his fake crutches, and he had asked her for help delivering some items to his vehicle. He then hit her on the head and handcuffed her. After clubbing her in the head, he put her in the car and drove 90 miles west to a town called Rifle. It was here that he sexually assaulted her and strangled her to death. Bundy also made a lot of claims that he was an alcoholic and anytime he committed these violent, crime, cli- anytime he committed these violent crimes, he was blacked out drunk. But I think this was just... He is just a sick bastard and his actions are inexcusable and he tries to blame everything but himself. On April 6, 1975, in Grand Junction, Colorado, Bundy killed Denise Lynn Oliverson, who was 24. She had an altercation with her husband and rode her yellow bike towards her parents' house. She never arrived. The next day, police found Denise's bike as well as her shoes under a bridge. Police became concerned when they realized she fit Bundy's M.O. Her family printed missing persons flyer using her wedding picture. Unfortunately, Denise's body body was never found. Days before Bundy was executed, he confessed to the police that he had thrown a body into the river that was about five miles away from Grand Junction. Investigators suspect that this body was Denise. On March 6, 1975, Bundy kidnapped Lynette Don Cul- Culver in Pocatello, Idaho. She was only 12 years old. I had again, I had no idea that he had more than one victim in Idaho. Pocatello is about an hour and a half from where I live, and it's very hard to wrap my head around. It was reported that she left during lunch break and no one ever saw her again. Before Ted was executed, he confessed to investigators that he abducted Lynette and took her to a Holiday Inn. He took her to a room where he raped her, dragged her to the bathtub, drowned her, and then threw her body in the Snake River. After this murder, Bundy went to spend some time with Liz and her daughter in Seattle. At this point, they had been talking about the future and made plans to marry each other later on that year on Christmas, Although Ted had romantic relationships with others like Carol Ann Boone and fellow classmates in Utah, and Liz thought he was a murderer, they both wanted to get married that year. After this trip on June 27, 1975, in Provo, Utah, Bundy killed Susan Curtis. She was only 15 years old. Susan had a tendency to run away from home, but never for long periods of time. She had been attending the Bountiful Youth bountiful orchard youth conference at brigham university she rode her bike 50 miles to be there susan had only traveled a quarter of a mile away from her friends to brush her teeth before the event started authorities suspect she never made it back to her dorm susan never made it back to the banquet she was reported missing when authorities checked her dorm they inspected her toothbrush and it was dry Ted confessed to Susan's murder. Unfortunately, this would be the last murder Bundy ever confessed to before getting sent to the chair in 1989. Bundy had claimed to bury her body. Bundy had claimed to have buried her body near a highway, but her remains have never been found. On August 16, 1975, at 3 o'clock a.m., Bundy was driving his Volkswagen bug when an officer Bob Hayward noticed the vehicle. Hayward was finishing a report when he got a call for assistance. He drove down the road and noticed a strange Volkswagen parked outside the neighbor's home. Hayward knew that the owners of the home were on vacation, but their two teenage daughters were home alone. Officer Hayward turned on his lights and Bundy quickly sped away. He finally pulled over at an empty gas station, and he stepped out of the car and explained that he was lost. He claimed that he had been in town watching the film Towering Inferno. Luckily, Hayward had drove past the drive-in that night and knew that Towering Inferno was not even playing. Officer Hayward had a weird feeling and asked to look into the car and found a gym bag that contained masks, gloves, rope, a crowbar, handcuffs, pantyhose, a nice pick, trash bags, as well as tape. He also noted that the passenger seat had been removed. Bundy was then arrested for possession of burglary burglary tools. And right there is where we're going to stop before I have an anxiety attack, because I literally, I don't know why this episode stresses me out, so. why this one has been stressing me out so much, but we will do part three next week because I'm already almost to 30 minutes and I don't want to bore you guys. <laughs> so if you want to keep up with the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Passions or Peace Podcast. If you want to be on the show or know somebody who would like to be on the show because they are passionate about something and they want to share it with the world, let me know. Send me a Gmail at Passions or peace at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel at Passions or Peace on YouTube. I'm pretty sure there's only like one video on there. I'm kind of slacking. Uh, let's see what else. Mm, is there anything else? twitter on instagram oh if you're feeling nice you can support the patreon and you'll get some cool episodes or maybe some cool things in the future i don't know if you're feeling nice we're on the patreons at passions are peace podcast and then my personal snapchat is sydneymarie 1116 you can see my shenanigans my daily shenanigans and we could be pals That'd be cool. But I think that is everything. I'm not sure. I kind of. I recorded this episode so many times, I'm kind of ready to just go eat some chips or something <laughs> and just live my life. But I appreciate you guys for listening. And I'm sorry that this is in three parts because I don't like Ted Bundy at all. But unfortunately, there is a lot of information and I want to get it as accurate as possible. But I love you guys. Remember to stay peaceful, stay passionate, and we will see you on Monday. Actually, Monday. Think of it as a palate cleanser. Okay, love you guys. Bye.